Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Good to be with you. Glad spring has finally sprung. Better that we get to be together today to sing the praises of the one who sprung it. We'll spring it again for good at some point, but also to sit under his word, which we're going to do today as we continue, pick up in our series on the book of Psalms that we've entitled The Songs of Jesus. A series in which we're looking at the, the songs, plugging in the playlist of the songs that both shape Jesus' life and that Jesus came to satisfy. Because as we've found out, this playlist is all about God's promised king. And the fact that the fulfillment of that promise rested not in David but in God. So this really is Jesus' playlist, because this is Jesus' Father's playlist. It rested in God, that this promise of one who'd who'd come in the line of David and and be born to be a king like David ultimately depended not on the one the promise was made to, but the one the promise was made by. Psalms are divided into five books. If you were to turn back to Psalm 1, you'd see that heading above it, uh, divided into five books or five volumes, sort of like a five-disc set of sorts. And this is what book one, disc one, is all about. The promise of God's King that only God could fulfill. That no matter how far David was forced to run, remember what we've seen over the last couple weeks, that no matter how far David was forced to run because it depended on God, he could still say, yea, though I walk through the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. For you are with me. Today, though, as we turn to book two of the Psalms, we're going to find that we as God's people, even more so than we saw last week, can sing and are encouraged to sing very much the same thing ourselves. So turn with me, if you have a Bible, to the two Psalms that open this second book, to Psalms 42 and 43. And I invite you to follow along with me as I read, again, from Psalm 42, verse 1, to the end of 43. This is God's Word. It says, To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a a multitude-keeping festival. 
Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God. And defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, many of us have shown up here even this morning with a great burden on our hearts, a rift in our souls. Some of us beaten and bruised, battered, broken, so that we don't look all that different from the one who sung these songs in the first place. Panting for you, rejected and dejected, and yet yearning for you. And it's our prayer this morning that we would find just that. And that our souls, beaten and bruised though they are, would nonetheless hope in you. Because of Jesus. In whose name we pray today. Amen. In January 1954, one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, a man by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones, ascended the pulpit in Westminster Chapel in the heart of London, just a few blocks from Buckingham Palace, and began what would be a six-month, 24-sermon series on spiritual depression. The reworking of those sermons put into book form has have been hailed as one of the 
greatest books in Christian literature of that century. But in the first sermon, on that first Sunday, Lloyd-Jones wasn't really looking to accomplish a lot. He was simply looking to summarize what he believed to be the situation. And this is what he said. The main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this. That we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourself. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? And not to sound crazy, but isn't he right? Isn't he right? Because this is my struggle. Every time I look in the mirror, every time I'm rolling around at night, that I'm I'm not talking to myself, I'm simply listening to myself. As if I'm the best judge of what's what. Being led by my feelings and ruled by my emotions and controlled by my passions and directed by my desires. I'm not even the woman of the house. (laughs) But allowing them all to go so unchecked that they, they run me off the road of life and into the ditch of depression. Is this not our problem? That we end up, that we 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 allow ourselves to to listen. And rarely do we interrupt to talk. Which means that according to Lloyd-Jones, the cure for spiritual depression is in a sense not getting to know ourselves or getting in touch with ourselves or listening to ourselves, but rather talking to ourselves and telling ourselves what's what coming from both one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century and at the time who one of at one time was one of London's foremost physicians who gave that life up to take up the bible that our problem in life is that we listen too much to ourselves and talk too little But not just according to Lloyd-Jones, but according to these psalms that we're looking at today, which happened to be where he got the idea in the first place from expositing these psalms. Now, of course, it matters what we say, but I want to focus our attention for now on when to say it. On when to say it. And that according to these psalms, we ought to be talking to ourselves first when our past makes us cry. And second, talking to ourselves when our present makes us cringe. 
And then third, talking to ourselves when our future makes us crave. That when our past makes us cry and our present makes us cringe and our future makes us crave, we ought to then be talking, not listening. So first, when our past makes us cry. And here we're looking at the first four verses in Psalm 42, where the psalmist begins by describing his plight with this picture that he draws from nature, saying that as a deer pants for streams of water, so his soul pants for God and thirsts for God, for the living God. Just like in Psalm 1 where the the tree is planted by the streams of God's Word. Or Psalm 23 where the sheep is led by the still waters of righteousness. Except that here, the emphasis isn't on what quenches the thirst, on God or God's Word or God's righteousness, but on the fact that the thirst goes unsatisfied. Do you see that? Because while the psalmist thirsts for God, the closest he comes to having that thirst quenched is when he's choking on his own tears. Have you been there? Sort of like rolling over in the middle of the night looking for your spouse and only finding your dog. Sometimes worse, finding your kid. It's totally unsatisfying. Which is what the psalmist is saying. I was thirsting for you, but it's my tears, verse 3, that have been my food day and night. And while I was longing for God and the things of God, everyone around me was saying to me all day long, where is your God? Sounds a lot like Psalm 22, right? Remember David? I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And they say to me, He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver Him, for He delights in Him. But now, rather than God's King, it's God's people. And that's what this psalm was. The the people's response to the King's predicament. That's who the sons of Korah were, those hired by David to lead God's people in the worship of God. But they start in the gutter. Let me point out, though, that that the tears are not just about what they don't have, but about what they once had. Do you see that? Because this is where the hammer falls in this last in this first stanza, and this is the explanation for the tears, that the people are looking not for what they never knew, but for what they once knew intimately. And isn't that just it? That it's, it's frustrating when, when you can't figure out what you want. It's frustrating when you never find find what you want. But when you know that it's double-stuffed Oreos that you want and all you can find is the health health stuff, that will make you cry. How much more, though, with God? 
They know exactly what they want. And they had it before. But what they had once, they've lost now. And they can't live without it. Because it's those who've known Him for whom not having Him hurts the most. Listen to verse 4. It says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, as my soul pours out in my tears, how I would go with the throng and, and lead them in procession to the house of God. The psalmist asks, when will I appear before God? Because I used to do it. And now all I do is thirst. He says it was with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. I used to sing about this stuff. I used to celebrate this stuff and lead others in celebrating as well. But now, keeping festival, which was the Israelite way of, of attaching oneself to what God had done in the past. It was the point of every festival and keeping the past alive, right? But now, psalmist says, I've got nothing to celebrate. All my past does is make me cry. And I wonder how many of us who are here in body are there in soul. Having had at one time that insatiable desire to know God and felt at that time close to God because you were walking with God and getting to know God and couldn't go an hour without turning to God and talking to God and talking to anybody who would listen about God. But now you go days without turning. Weeks without talking. And yet you know the point of the tears, exactly what you're missing. Because having known Him, you're one of those for whom not having Him hurts the most. It's at a time like that, the psalmist says, when your past makes you cry, over what you've lost but, but know you once had, that this is when you've got to talk to yourself. And ask yourself, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me, hope in God? But not just when your past makes you cry. Second, talk to yourself when your present makes you cringe. Psalmist picks up in verse 6 saying, but my soul is cast down within me, which is why therefore I remember you. Trying to hang on to what I once knew, even while away from those places where I knew it most. 
remembering you for him at least from the land of Jordan, he says, and from the land of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, which, which one way or another, wherever these places were, weren't in the one place this guy wanted to be, with God and God's people in God's presence, on God's mountain, in God's city. Ever experienced that? Trying to hang on to, to the past and remind yourself of the past, but it, but it only becomes a further critique of your present? Because after all, if I knew God then, why don't I know Him now? And this is the psalmist's struggle in verses 8 and 9. This is, this is how this fits together. He says, by day the Lord commands His steadfast love. I know this is true. And at night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I do sing and pray. But as much as I pray and as much as I sing and as much as I remember God's utter control of His steadfast love, the psalmist says, Remembering what I once knew only serves to remind me of what I don't now have. Hence the questions in verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning today in the present because of the oppression of the enemy who taunts me and says to me all day long, where is your God? Which stings right at the heart of everything I care most about. Because if we're honest, it's sometimes when we remember God's work in our past that we feel most forgotten in our present. Isn't it? Which is why we're crying about the past in the first place. Because what we knew in the past is not what we're experiencing in the present. If it were, we wouldn't be crying or cringing. But it is. It's not. And so we do both. But the point of the psalm is not that, it's this. That we ought not stop short by merely talking to ourselves when our past makes us cry, but ought to talk to ourselves when our present makes us cringe. That God is God. And God meant what He said. And He said what He meant. And more than Horton, God is faithful 100%. So talk to yourself. And ask yourself, why are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. But not just when your past makes you cry and your present makes you cringe. But third, talk to yourself when your future makes you crave. And I wonder if Psalms 42 and 43, which almost certainly began as a single psalm, 
the repetition of verses, the language and catchphrases that are used in one and carry over to the other. The fact that only here in these first Psalms, in this second book, only Psalm 43 is without a a prescript because it follows after 42. I wonder if Psalms 42 and 43, which were originally one, I wonder if they were split apart because Psalm 43 became the answer in a way that Psalm 42 was calling for. And so eventually could just be sung on and on and on on its own. That in, that in Psalm 43, the clarion call to hope in God is finally taken up. Listen to what the psalmist says. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, to deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Just as David did. Just like the king did, so too God's people. Which doesn't mean all the questions are gone, right? The psalmist still asked, why? Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Some questions we carry with us to the grave. But there's a difference now in in that he's turned from hopeless to hopeful. So verse 3, he says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Back to God, right? Because this is what he was longing for to begin with. That he might come to God and the things of God led by the Word of God. God's truth. Back to the dwelling of God, God's presence. It's interesting, the Psalms were very much, very likely put together not during the kingship of David or the kingship of David's sons, but put together afterwards when the kingship was no more. When this people had no more chance to go back to the land as it was and be once more in the presence of God like they once had. And yet here they sing that that's not what I need anymore. Lead me now by Your Word. Which will lead me then to your presence. Then I will go to the altar of God, he says in verse 4, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Yet still notice that even as the future makes the psalmist crave and long for and anticipate and pray for better days. Even when the shift has occurred, the psalmist still doesn't stop talking to himself. Because we need this even then. 
he still circles around and tells himself the same thing he's been saying all along. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? But where the emphasis up until this point has been on the why, the emphasis now seems to shift here for the, for the first time to the what. Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. It's almost like up to this point, he, was, he wasn't convinced of it. But now, after talking to himself and then turning to talk to God, now having his eyes fixed not on where he came from, but on where he's going, the hope of where he's going seems to drown out the hopelessness of where he is. This is the way out of spiritual depression. So that just as God's king could say for himself, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So to God's people, and how much more us today who have as our king not David who was forever on the run, but David's greater son, how much more today can we say this in Jesus Christ? That's the when. When we should talk to ourselves. When our past makes us cry and our present makes us cringe and our future makes us crave. But I want to circle back before we close to the what. The, the what that we should be saying to ourselves. Because this is what relieves the paradox of talking to yourself but not listening to yourself. Because when Lloyd-Jones calls and the psalmist calls us to talk to ourselves, it's not that we talk for ourselves but for God. This is how Lloyd-Jones puts it. He said, remember, the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourself, to our soul. And then he goes on to say that the main art in the matter of spiritual living, then, is to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. That you must say to your soul, like the psalmist, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn to yourself. Turn on yourself. Upbraid yourself. Condemn yourself. Exhort yourself. And say to yourself, hope in God. Instead of muttering to yourself in this depressed unhappy way and then you must go on to remind yourself he says of god of who god is and of what god is and what god has done and what god has pledged himself to do and then having done that he says end on this great note 
defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with the psalmist, I shall again praise him for who he is and for what he's done for me. In Jesus, my salvation and my God. So talk to yourself. You are the first defense in your spiritual walk. You are the first defense equipped with the Word of God. Let me encourage you to do that even this week in three ways. That when your past makes you want to cry, perhaps over what you once had but don't have anymore, talk to yourself about what God's done. What God's done in history. What God's done in Jesus. And what God's done in your own life. Get out a pen and paper. Get out a bullet journal. Fill up the page. One, two, three pages. Do it. List it out. Talk to yourself. And when your present makes you cringe because you're overwhelmed with the idea that God's forgotten you, talk to yourself. Remind yourself of who God is. List out His attributes. That's what I do. That's what I try to do. Into that same mirror that, that God is faithful and, and just and in Him we should trust. That He is our protection, our love and acceptance, our joy in the sorrow, our hope for tomorrow, our Alpha Omega, our beginning and end, and without Him we perish and only in Him we stand. Talk to yourself. And then no less when your future makes you crave, talk to yourself of all that He's promised and all that He's already accomplished and all that He's already given us a taste of in Jesus. Talk to yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a reality too many of us walk in and too little of us pay attention to listening to ourselves rather than talking to ourselves on your behalf with your word. And it's so subtle and we can get so swept up in it without even noticing. But God, I pray today that when we find ourselves where this psalmist was, when the words he penned fit our lives, I pray then that we would remember to remember. And that with what you've given us in your word, we would talk to ourselves. Pray we would do it to know and honor Jesus. for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.